John chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 17 through 24. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read responsively, beginning together, and then reading every other verse together as I read the verses in between. John chapter 5, verses 17 through 24, the Word of God says, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that he himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And together, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for these powerful verses. Thank you for the example that you have given to us about a relationship with a father and his, his child. And I pray today on this Father's Day that you would help us to see you as you are, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and all of your glory. And then, Lord, that we would see that example and uh, strive to live that way in our own lives with our own families and our own children. Uh, may you be glorified. Speak to our hearts today, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so today we celebrate Father's Day, and I I enjoy days like this. Uh, I like holidays to where we can point out a different group of people and just give them a little extra honor and a little extra love. I I enjoy that. Uh, I don't think that we should only honor our fathers on Father's Day. We should do that all year long, just like we should not only honor mothers on Mother's Day or the birth of Christ on Christmas, or the resurrection on Easter. I mean, these ought to be constant themes all year long. But I do enjoy just having a day set aside to to kind of shine some extra light on those things. As I was praying about what to do, and, and honestly, I thank God for every man that comes to our church. You know, you go into a lot of churches, and it's mostly ladies. And I, I'm thankful for every lady that comes. Good night. Without you, we'd be an absolute mess. Uh, you know, you're so sweet and so spiritual and, and godly and, and just wonderful. Uh, but a lot of churches just don't have any men in them. And I'm thankful for the, the men that come to Curtis Corner Baptist Church and the men that say, 
No, I'm a believer in Christ, and I'm not just going to believe with lip service, but I'm going to show up, and I'm going to help. I remember uh, last year, I think it was, boy, time flies. I think it was just last year, we got a storm on a Friday night, and one Saturday morning, uh, we come over here to church, and there's trees laying all in the back lot here. And I mean, I think there ended up being six or seven trees. There was one big one that went all the way from the past the corner of the parking lot, laying this direction almost all the way up to the building. And there were different trees mixed in with that. And you know when a tree falls, I mean, branches go everywhere. There's branches sticking up. Well, we got to have church the next day. And so we just started making phone calls. Hey, I know you guys are busy, but if anybody can stop by and help. We had so many guys come and help that day. And by the time the afternoon came, uh, the parking lot, the, the trees were not only gone, but the parking lot was totally cleared. And I often think about that day as, as you know, the guys of the church just, and I know some guys were working that day and, and other things, uh, but they would have been there if they could have. And I got texts saying, hey, I'd be there if I can, but I got this going on. I, I'm so thankful that we have men that are like, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this church. This is my church. And, and I want to be here and, and help the cause of Christ move forward. And if, if it's teaching a class or driving a bus or cutting up a tree, uh, you know, we'll do whatever is necessary. And uh, thank God for, for the men that come. So as I was praying and thinking about the men of our church and, and thanking God for you, and I really do believe that a godly man is worth more than his weight in gold. So few and far between. Uh, of all the men in our community, uh, of all the men in the world, those of you who are godly men, that you love God, you love Jesus, uh, you're willing to step out by faith and, and try, as we all fail, but we're trying to please the Lord with our lives. I mean, you are worth more than your weight in gold. And I'm thankful for that. And so I was, I was thinking about all this and praying about it and thinking what, what uh, message we could go to, what verses we could lo- use. I was looking at some wonderful scripture. And then just in studying that, I came to this portion of scripture and it was like, this is it. This is awesome. And I absolutely love it. And if you don't like it, at least I will enjoy this morning. And so happy Father's Day to me. Uh, but I hope it'll be a, a blessing to you as well. We pick up the scripture here in John chapter 5. And I just love the book of John, uh, written to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to die for the sins of the world. And so there's a lot in here about presenting Christ as the Son of God. Matthew basically presents him as the King of the Jews, even though he is the Savior and Son of God. Mark as the suffering servant. Uh, Luke as the Son of Man, uh, all God but all man, dying, living as a man, dying as a man for the sins of man. And then uh, John promotes him primarily as the Son of God. And so Jesus is all of those things, and each of the Gospels gives us a little bit different emphasis, but you put them all together and you see the perfect God-man. And so we see a lot about the Lord being the Son of God here in the book of John. But we pick it up in John chapter 5 and verse 17, and he's having a conversation with uh, the Jews here, and the, the Pharisees were his enemies. Matter of fact, he had just had the, the meeting with the woman in the well in John chapter 5. Uh, she was uh, an immoral lady that had gotten saved, went back to town, brought all of these other people from town to see Jesus. Many people had, had gotten saved. And then we see the, the uh, impotent man here who was healed. I mean, God's just moving. There's all kinds of wonderful things happen. And there was a group of people, though, that were unhappy about Jesus. 
they were unhappy about the miracles. They were unhappy that Jesus wasn't doing it their way. And unfortunately, it was the, the religious crowd uh, and the political crowd. And uh, oftentimes, it's the political crowd and the, the, the uh, religious crowd, those that have religious power, that are trying to hinder and protect their own power, that they are uh, intimidated by God. And so you see them constantly trying to, to push God out or put God in a box according to the way they want it to be rather than let God tell us how it is, right? We don't come to church and, and we tell you the God of Curtis Corner Baptist Church. You come here and we say, here's God. Here's who God says he is. And then we choose to believe in him or not. We choose to follow him or not. And so Jesus here is having clashes with the Pharisees and the Jews. Matter of fact, John chapter 8 one of the most amazing chapters in the New Testament, he goes head-to-head with the Pharisees, and it's a pinnacle turning point in the ministry of Christ. But here in John chapter 5, we see a pretty hefty tussle between uh, the Jews and Christ. And what's the situation? So Jesus gives them an answer. Uh, He had healed on the Sabbath day, and those people didn't like that. Look at verse 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. They wanted to kill him. Why? What, What was his crime? Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. He had the audacity to heal a man on the Sabbath day. They wanted to kill him. Totally missing the miracle. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now wait a minute. No Jew would speak about Jehovah that way, saying, My father. They saw that as uh, sacrilege and blasphemy. Matter of fact, in Sunday school, we talked about prayer and the privilege of prayer and the parable of the three loaves in Luke chapter 11. The fact that you and I get to pray, Heavenly Father, is an absolute miracle and a benefit of salvation. Uh, Amazing. And so here he says, My Father worketh hitherto and I work. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought to kill him the more. So now they wanted to kill him twice. No, you can't kill somebody twice, right? They just, they just had more of a desire to kill him than they did before. Not only did he break the Sabbath day, but now he's making himself equal with God. Well, no, wait a minute. He was equal with God. He was telling the truth. And a matter of fact, if you study the trial of Jesus before the crucifixion, he was crucified for telling the truth. Not much has changed, Amen. Uh, Let's look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought to kill, the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, and what he seeth, but what he seeth the Father do. Now I want you to look at me. Verses 19 through 24 are beautiful. Because what happens here is, Jesus says, my father and I are going to work. They said, who in the world do you think you are to call God your father? Who do you think you are making yourself equal with God? And I love this about the Lord. He says, let me tell you about the relationship I have with my father. And Jesus gives them six or seven things about the relationship that he had with the heavenly father that are beautiful, they're encouraging, they're convicting. And to the Jews, they had to be absolutely maddening. 
Because he not only said, he's my father, let me tell you about the depth of our relationship. And then he ends with an invitation to salvation. And so we see in this portion of scripture, as Jesus is talking about his relationship with with the Father, of course, God the Son, speaking of his relationship with God the Father, we can learn about a relationship between a father and a child. And of course, here from a father to a son, but this works from a father to, to any child, daughters included, of course. And so let's look at this, and I'm going to give you a few things uh, for Father's Day. And I, I call this simply gifts from father to son. Uh, let me say number one, we see the one gift from the Father to the Son is the gift of example. Look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. You see that? Jesus said, I'm not only his son, he's not only my father, but he taught me everything I know. And here we have the power of example. Uh, You know, when children are born, they're a blank slate. Now, very quickly, they get their own personality, and they all have their own DNA, and God builds in them their own personality. And, you know, it's amazing. Those babies are sweet, and, and they cry and stuff. But every parent will know that first time that your baby starts to cry, and it's not a, oh, I'm hungry cry, or, oh, I, I need a diaper change cry. It's the, I don't like what's happening cry. And it's the arching of the back, and it's the, you know, I mean, they can just be three, four, five, six months old, and already they're exerting their will, arching their back, letting everybody know, basically saying, I'm unhappy. <laughs> so they're all born with the sin nature. But at the same time, they are that, that little baby that ne- needs to be molded and will be molded and shaped according to the people around them. And so we see that the power of example, the power of how we choose to live. This verse also says, For whatsoever things he, the Father, doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. You know, our children get a taste for what they grow up around. If you think about what what, uh, people eat, you know, our kids grow up and they get a taste for what, what the family eats. Now, I don't know, I know some families where it's like mom's cooking one meal for this child, but this, the second child doesn't like that, so she'll cook another meal. In our house, it ain't like that. It's like a chow line, right? This is what's for food. If you don't want it, when you get hungry enough, it'll taste better, you know, or you will like it. It's like, you know, well, I don't like carrots. Well, fast for a couple days, don't eat for a couple days, and a carrot tastes like candy, and so sometimes we're just like, well, I don't, you know, in our house, that's what it was growing up. You get hungry enough, you'll eat, <laughs> you know. And a matter of fact, I got abused as a child to the point to where if I was bad, they might send us to bed without supper. It wasn't a right to being alive to eat back then. Nowadays, it's like if you don't feed your kids, you know, uh, ice cream with Snickers on top, you know, it's, it's abuse. No, it, we, we would go to, go to bed sometimes without eating. And for a guy like me, that was a punishment. And so, but kids get a taste. You know, my wife had different tastes because in their home growing up, they would eat certain things. 
And then in our home growing up, we would eat certain things. It's like my wife didn't know how to make biscuits and gravy. We fixed that, by the way. Wasn't too long before we fixed that. But a nice biscuit and sawmill gravy. Hey, can I get a hallelujah right there? And I'm, I'm thinking about the barrel, right? And when I go to the Cracker Barrel, first thing I do is say, can you bring me some bread and cornbread? Some of those, those uh, biscuits and cornbread. And I take a biscuit and I take a cornbread and I get the jelly and the honey. And I, I pull all that to me. And I get a piece of cornbread and I put so much honey on that thing that it just runs through and gets every piece of it. And then I take some, one of those biscuits and I take some of that blackberry, blackberry jelly. And I put that on there and I rub that on there lovingly, kindly. Caress the, the jam on top of that. You know, some people grow up, they don't, they don't eat cornbread. Oh, I don't like cornbread. Well, God will forgive you for that, you know. Or, uh, you know, how many of you in, in, the, in the north, you know, grits aren't a big thing. Uh, you know, down south, man, it's like grits and everything. Uh, so people have different tastes. You say, what's, what's the, the point here, Pastor? Because those tastes come from the example of the family. Amen. We literally have the ability to build into taste. Now, some families grow up pretty healthy. You know, and your kids, you, you taught your kids, they love to eat apples and carrots and bananas. And, ooh, Mommy, can I have a piece of celery? Sure, honey, you can have a piece of celery. Uh, some kids, they, they want to eat that way. Most of them don't. But I say that we have an impact on their taste. It's that way with life. It's, it's that way with the things we watch, the music we listen to. You know, they just learned it. Now their taste will, as they get older, will hone and become more personal. And they'll get their own uh, taste but it does, we do have an impact on that. And so we have to understand the power of example. And then he says, for whatsoever things he doeth, these doeth the son also. You know, I think as a, as a father to a son, uh, you know, my, my dad was, was in the, the trades. And so he talked about that a lot. You know, he loved to go fishing. And so sometimes when we'd go over to his house and I didn't get to see him as much as I wanted to, and uh, at the end there, for the last several years, I was, I was a teenager. Got to see him every other weekend for a day. And that was kind of tough. Let me just say a word for those of you who, uh, I understand that Father's Day is tough for some people. Uh, maybe you had a father that wasn't there. Uh, we've had people that, that have been adopted and they didn't know who their father was. And that was, that was hard. We've had people who've been abandoned uh, and their, their, their uh, parents aren't really involved in their lives. That's difficult. We've had others who dad was there, but you wish he wasn't because he was abusive and hurtful and, and all of those things. But, but let me say this. Father's Day is still a good day. Amen. Because what you can do is you can take all of that, that joy and honor and point that to your heavenly father. Amen. And then you can also say, you know, I may not have, have had the father in my life that I had hoped but I'm going to be the kind of father for my children. If God gives me the opportunity, I'm going to be the kind of father for my children. And so uh, don't allow the hurts and pains of the past to poison even good days. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to hurt. doesn't mean all those things, but make sure that the bitterness isn't taking hold because then that just hurts you in the long run. And so I didn't get to see my dad as much as I wanted. 
You know, I didn't have the relationship with him that either one of us wanted. It was the circumstances of life, and it was hard for both of us. And it's almost like every other week you see your dad for a week. I mean, it's like you're reconnecting, and by the time you get reconnected, it's time to leave again. And so uh, one thing that we had in common was fishing. And because guys can go fishing and not really talk because you're talking to the fish, the fish whisperer. You know, you're getting those things. We'd go down to the river and catch fish and big old uh, flathead catfish and channel cats and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we'd go to little ponds and catch some bluegills or some crappie or, or some, some bass. And that was something we had in common. We would go camping sometimes. And so, but, but I had a taste for that because that's what dad did. Now, my stepdad was really big into sports. And so that affected us, and I was really big into sports growing up, and, and uh, we would play uh, track and field, and I didn't run, of course, but uh, I threw the, the shot put and the discus and, and uh, basketball, and when I was younger, baseball and all of those things. And, and now my dad wasn't really interested in those things. We would talk about them, but it wasn't really his thing, but we could talk about the outdoors, and, and he might be working on a car or whatever, and he'd, he'd teach me things, and then I'd go, and, and my stepdad, it was all about the sports. And so all I'm saying is that we cannot underestimate the importance that our example has in the people of the young ones around us, the lives of the young ones around us. Children mimic their parents for good or bad. We had a couple years ago bring me a, here's an ant here, let me kill that thing, in Jesus' name, right there. Yeah, he's all right. It's just a flesh wound. Somebody's like, oh no, the ant. Uh, we had a couple years ago come to me and say, my, my, my son won't stop cussing in the house. Terrible anger problems. Cursing, screaming out, yelling. I mean, the guy was uh, seven, eight years old. And uh, we got talking, and I knew the couple, and had already done some marriage counseling and stuff. And so we get talking, and it comes back around to, where do you think he learned this? I have no idea, Pastor. Well, I just don't know. And then through a period of, of conversation, in a few minutes, we brought them around to the point reminded them that the, the dad had a really bad temper. And when he would lose his temper, his mouth would start going off. And it was almost like that moment of revelation when he realized, I'm looking at me when I see my son do that. And I told him, you know, often our children are mirrors and they don't just pick up our good points. Don't you wish our children just picked up our wonderful points? they tend to absorb more easily the negatives. We just have to know that. That doesn't mean nobody's going to be a perfect parent, but we need to know that and say, I'm going to try to minimize my negatives and minimize, uh, with God's help, not allow the, the bad parts that I struggle with every day to influence my children to the place that they're going to struggle with the same problems. How many times do we see what's called generational sins? where you see the same sins and problems and addictions and, and troubles replicated in the children and grandchildren as in the parents. And so there's a way with God's help you can break that cycle and you can say, you know, for example, in, my, in one side of my family there's a long tradition of, of drunkenness, alcoholism. And so we just decided that, that I wasn't going to do that by God's grace. It's not going to happen. My kids have never seen me with, with a beer sitting outside or a wine cooler or anything else. I wish I could say if I smell liquor, it, it, it smells bad. Uh, it doesn't. I, I have no doubt that if I, with, with my sin nature and all of that, that if I just let myself go, I'd probably be drawn to that. Uh, 
I just refuse to. By God's grace, by God's help. And by the way, I made that decision as a teenager because I saw what it was doing to other people in my family. And so we can decide we're not all just victims. Just because we have sins that perpetuate in our own families, we're not helpless to just go on and keep making the same mistakes. With God's help, we can say, I'm going to trade in this bad example for the example of my heavenly Father, and I'm going to do what He does. I'm going to do what pleases Him. I'm going to try to learn uh, what He wants me to do and follow that example. And then what happens is you break that cycle so then your children can get a head start and not have to fight those same things. Now, often they might have the same sin nature where they might lean towards some of those same things, but at least they don't grow up in a house where it's prevalent and it's already taken hold of them. And then as a parent, it's our job to teach them, listen, this this thing runs in our family. You're going to have to watch this and be really careful because this is going to be a way Satan's going to try to trip you up. Right. And so we we try to help with that. So children tend to mimic their parents for good or bad. I've got a lot of verses here. Numbers 32, 14 says, and behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead. An increase of sinful men to augment the fierce anger of the Lord. And so what the Lord's saying is you children are just like your fathers were. They were sinners and they rebelled. And now you're rebelling just like your dads did. And so Acts 7.51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. So how many times do we see someone, and maybe the kids are coming to church on the bus, but their parents are just like, that's not for me. And they get to an age where a lot of times it's like, that's not for me. Well, they're, they're doing what their parents did. How often do we see godly moms get saved, or they come to church, and they bring the kids to church, but then the, the children get to a certain age, where they're like, well, I'm just going to follow dad's path instead. And so uh, as fathers, we have to understand it's a blessing and a curse because God has given us incredible power in the lives of our children and in the lives of our wives and and extended family as well. Uh, So we, we see this. Matthew 23, 32, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. What was he saying? The the Pharisees were plotting the death of Christ, but they were whitewashing the sepulchers of the old prophets. And Jesus is like, your fathers killed the prophets you're talking about now. And they said, well, we're not like our fathers. We wouldn't make those mistakes. And Jesus said, fill ye up in the measure of your fathers. What was he saying? He says, you're saying you won't make those same mistakes while you're plotting my death. You're doing the same thing that your fathers did. You just don't recognize it. How many times do we get to the place where it's like, oh, I hate it when my mom, my mom used to do this. I hate it when my dad used to do this. Then you have that moment where it's like, I'm becoming my father. <laughs> you know, I'm becoming my mother. I'm becoming all of the. We have to be careful of that and, and emulate. Now, here's a thought for the children in the room, uh, and, and whether you're an adult child or a young child. Let's focus on the th- wonderful things our parents did and emulate those not focus on the bad and copy those, right? Because oftentimes parents that struggled in their role had some wonderful high points that we would be well to learn from. But can we just be honest? The pain and hurt that we experienced because of the negatives, in our minds we can get blinded to the good things we should have learned. Does that make sense to you? And so we have to choose with God's help 
I realize that these things hurt me. I realize that I have a tendency, if I'm not careful and I just let myself go, I'm probably going to go that direction because that's what I know. But I'm going to choose to reject those negatives and embrace the positives of my family. And so think about this. As a father, we have the power of example. Are we giving the example of anger, cursing, malice, bitterness? Do we quit things? Well, why is my kid quitting? Well, do you quit? You know, addiction, weakness, instability. My kids are up one minute and down the next. Well, am I that way? We, we have to check ourselves. But then, the, the, so that's the warning moment of this. But then you have the promise. And the promise is that we can leave a godly example for our children. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our children are going to choose to follow that godly example when they get older. Right. I know many people that had wonderful parents and they chose to go the wrong way. And by God's grace, hopefully they'll turn back around and come back to the Lord. But every child reaches an age where they're going to make their own choice. Right. Unless you lock them in a room, you know, for 40 years and stuff. And I won't I, I wouldn't recommend that. But I mean, we as parents have to realize that our kids are they're little now, but they're they're their own lives. They're their own people. They are accountable to God all by themselves. And they reach that age where it's like you've got to be on your own now. And they're accountable for their own decisions. And hopefully we have put good things into them. Uh, but they're accountable for their own. Let me say this. Some of you got saved later in life. Some of you got uh, right with God later in life. Maybe you were saved, but you were away from God while your kids were young, and they uh, now you're back with God, and you're like, boy, I wish we would have done this when our kids were little. We could have saved them so much trouble. Stop beating yourself up. Amen. You're not perfect. Stop beating yourself up. Don't take that stick out of the hand of Satan, and when he reminds you that you were not a perfect parent, say you're right. I'm not a perfect parent, but Jesus' blood cleanses me from all sin. And the same God that got a hold of my heart can get a hold of my children. And by faith, I'm going to ask God and beg God every day of my life for Him to help them turn to Him. Stop beating yourself up. You can't change the past. Regret doesn't help anybody. A regret is like driving forward, but all all you're looking at is the rearview mirror. You're going to wreck. You're going to crash. There's a reason why you have a great big windshield and you've got a little mirror that you check the past or what's behind you every once in a while. And so that's what your past is, is your past is a reminder. It's a checkpoint where every once in a while you look at your past to to make sure that you're going the right direction and you make sure that you're learning from the past. But man, you've got a big life ahead of you. And if you're breathing today and you're moving forward, then move forward in faith and trust the Lord. All right, we we have the opportunity to leave a godly example for our children. I think one of the ways you do that is go to church. And when I say go to church, you know I'm not talking about going to some denominational church where you just walk in, punch your ticket, well, I went to church. That doesn't help much of anybody. But we've got a church here that's alive. I mean, we've got a church where, where things are moving and shaking and we're trying to reach out and we preach the true gospel and we've got the word of God and, and all of those things. And so we uh, be faithful to church. And daddy, listen, there's going to be days you don't want to come. Go anyway. There's going to be times when you're tired. Go anyway. There's going to be times when, when you're working. Uh, go anyway. Listen, I didn't want to go to work today. I was up late last night. I'm tired. You go anyway. It's church day. I don't decide every week whether or not I'm going to church. I decided a long time ago I go to church. I just do it. And unless I'm providentially hindered, we're going to be at church. And so 
nail that down in your heart. And I'm talking uh, to everybody, but of course you men, nail that thing down in your heart. Sunday is church day. All right, Bible reading. Do your kids ever see you reading the Bible? Do they ever hear you talk about how much you love God or how much you love His Word? Uh, Leaving prayer. Do your kids ever hear you pray? Uh, do you ever get the family together and pray? When something goes wrong, do you, do you say, hey, let's pray about this? You know, what, what, what's the example you're leaving? And, uh, you know, do they ever hear you talk about uh, how much you want someone to be saved or, you know, you gave someone a track or, you know, you can leave an example of caring about souls. You can leave an example of kindness and strength and holiness. Let me, let me just correct something. I know you men in this room, I'm preaching to the choir. Strength is not meanness. You can be strong and kind at the same time, right? And so raising your voice, yelling at people, that's not manhood. That's called sin, whether you're a man or a woman. But there's that strength that that, uh, God has given a man. There's that backbone, that strength of will, that strength of of inside that the old timers used to call it the steel in your backbone or the grit in your craw. Uh, if you grow up on a farm and have chickens, you know what that means. But I mean, it's just there's something in you. There's an inner strength, but it can also be kind and loving, and an example of holiness. So we see this here in this verse. Isn't that beautiful? All right, look at verse twenty. Uh, For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all the things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel also. So remember, Jesus says, I and my father uh, are one. And the Pharisees are mad and said, "Who? how dare you make yourself one with the father? And Jesus said, let me tell you about my father and I's relationship. First of all, I follow his example. Secondly, he loves me. And I think another gift of, from a father to a child is that of love. Unconditional love. You know, love in the form of acceptance, I'm happy you're my child. I'm glad God put you in my family. I wouldn't trade you for anybody. You know, there's beautiful safety in that. And listen, what, what, do, what do parents do or lost parents that don't know any better and they were probably treated the same way? You were an accident. You were a mistake. I wish you'd never been born. You've caused me so much trouble. And hurting people hurt people. So sometimes parents are hurting. I mean, we've, we've had everything. So uh, I knew a, a lady one time that, that uh, the dad blamed the children when the mom died. Your mom's dead because of you. Live with that for the rest of your life. Another one, get a divorce. We got a divorce because of you. Live with that the rest of your life. I mean, there are traumatic things that happen. And, and what I'm saying, gentlemen, and, and, and everybody in the room, one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is that of love. That's right. Is I love you. I love you for who you are. No, you're not perfect. In our house, it's a common thing. Anytime that we have to correct the kids or, or, or even uh, conversations between adults, it's, it's like, no, you're not perfect. And I don't expect perfection. I love you the way you are. But we can work on these things. And let me give your parents a wonderful tip. When you correct your children, correct the action. Don't put down their character. There's a large difference between you are lazy and you're acting lazy. There's a huge difference between you're dumb and that was foolish. You see the difference? I can correct an action. 
If I did something wrong, I can fix that. But if I'm broken, what do I do? If I'm defective, what, how can I fix that? And so this idea of love, Jesus was perfectly secure in the idea of his father's love. And we have the gift that we can give our children that. And the, the concept of acceptance and the concept of safety. Acceptance doesn't mean, though, that anything goes. Uh, you ought to have boundaries. Love always includes boundaries and limitations and rules. Always. Matter of fact, you love people when you say don't go there because that will hurt you. Or that's dangerous. I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, some people have this idea that love is, well, I love you so much I'm going to let you do whatever you want. No, that's not love. That's selfishness. Because oftentimes we're so concerned about wanting people to like us that we break all the rules to make that happen. And let me warn you, I've seen it Dozens of times, when you don't give children rules, boundaries, and limitations, they don't love you for it, they resent you for it. They resent you. It will never be enough. Because you can let them do anything they want, and the the next time you say no, you're going to have World War III on your hands. Because how dare you tell me no? Uh, Children, all of us, honestly, every human being functions best knowing where the boundaries are. And knowing what happens if I cross that boundary. And so we, we provide love. Look at verse 21. Gift from the Father to Son. What's the third one? We see power. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And so the Father empowered the Son. God, God Almighty had the power to raise the dead. And we see that back in the Old Testament. Elijah raised the dead and others. And Jesus had the power to raise the dead. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He would raise himself from the dead. So this speaks of the empowerment that a father can give to his children. You know, once you give them uh, love, and you give them training, and you set a good example, then they become empowered with confidence. Now you, I can't, you know, kids say, I'll just never get it. Well, of course you'll get it. You won't get it with that attitude, because that attitude is going to hinder you. But you're going to get it. You just got to stay at it. Stay, you, you empower them. You, you give them faith in God. Now, God's going to come through. Well, why isn't God answering my prayers? Let me talk to you about prayer for a minute. The problem's not with God, so you empower them. Well, I'll never be this. I'll never be. You know, you got got a kid who's in a a, a junior in high school, and he's he's 5'3 and weighs 85 pounds, and he wants to be a linebacker. (laughs) Nowadays, people would say, if you want to be a linebacker, you can do anything you want to do. Just give it your best shot. No, he's going to die. He's going to die. It's like it's not wrong for me to say, oh, I want to be an MBA. I want to play in the NBA. It's okay if you say, Pastor, probably not. You look more like the ball than the player. And I would say, a little bit hurtful, but thanks for being honest, right? It's okay for people to say, you're heading the wrong direction. Or no, you may not excel at this, but that doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're defective. Let's find what God made you to do. Because God made everybody to do something. And some of you are incredibly intelligent book-wise, and you can learn, and you can memorize. And some of you, the best day in your life was whenever a school was done. Uh, because you're a genius with your hands, and you can put things together, and you see the world the way other people don't see it. 
every one of us are geniuses in our own way. But we, we teach people that if you don't fit in this box, then, then you're defective. That's not true at all. So if, if they're not good at this, let's find what you are good at. If, or, or maybe you just need to practice. Maybe you need to, to learn to, to do this every day or to every week. You're going to get better at it and hone your skills. But we empower people. And watch this. Please get what I'm saying. Jesus looked at the Father and said, He can raise the dead and I can raise the dead. And so our children can look at us and say, they were faithful to God, and I can be faithful to God. Or daddy's a hard worker, and I can be a hard worker. Or mommy knows how to do this, and I can learn how to do this too. We empower our children with our example, with love, and then with giving them the tools and encouragement to become what God wants them to be. All right, look at verse 22. For the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Now, wait a minute, this is hugely important theologically, but also practically. So God's the judge, but he says, you know what, I'm going to let my son judge. My son is qualified to judge too. And here I speak about judgment and teaching our children right and wrong. You know, teaching the people in our lives right and wrong. And this idea of equity, treating everybody the same way. There's not different rules for those people I like and those people I don't like. There's God's rules. There's not, and, and just let me encourage us, let's not have favorites in the house. Well, this is mama's favorite, and this is daddy's favorite. Let's love all of our kids the same. And, uh, you know, when you think about the fact that, let's be honest, sometimes one of your children is going to be more like the wife and more like the husband. It's going to be easier to talk to them. Maybe their personalities gel a little bit better. Maybe they have the, they, they have the same personality. They think the same things are funny. You're going to have the, the, that, that magnetism where one is pulled to the other. But don't do the old Jacob and Esau thing to where this is a mama's boy and this is a daddy's boy, and they're going to spend the rest of their lives fighting because we all know who's on whose team. No, no. Daddy, love everybody. I love all your kids the same. I love them. Uh, and, and if you are button heads... Make sure that, that they know it's not about anything else other than right and wrong. This isn't about how I feel about you. This is about this is right, this is wrong. You want to make daddy happy? Do right. I told one of my kids recently, it's very easy to make me happy. Do the right thing. You do wrong, I'll be upset every single time. You do right, I'll be happy every time. And it, it's hurtful when a child doesn't know, you know, what kind of mood's dad in, what kind of mood's mom is. It's funny one day, they're in trouble the next. That kind of instability in the house is difficult. So we teach judgment. This, and how do we do that? By this book. Amen? What this book says, this is our standard. This is, this is our family constitution. This is, this is the right and wrong. And so we're going to use this. And so we see Jesus' relationship. And then let me say, let me finish up quickly here. Number five, look at verse 23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. So he said, uh, God wants you to honor me. Our, our English word today would be to respect. And he said, when you respect the Son, you're respecting the Father. Why? Because the, the Father has passed on that respectability to the child. The Father, God the Father, and God the Son are equally respectable. And I think that, that the application we can make here is that when, when we are respectable, we earn respect. People say, well, nobody respects me. Well, are you respectable? 
Are you respectful? And so when, listen, let me, let me just give you my heart for a minute. In our house, and, and I'm not setting myself up as the example, I just, people have taught us these things over the years, and we, we try to do that. I want to be respectful to my wife all the time, but especially in front of my children. I don't make fun of my wife in the house. We don't joke about getting divorced. I don't put her down. Uh, I, don't, I don't say things of, to the kids, well, you know your mother. And she doesn't do that, well, you know your father. Well, you know your father. Uh, arguing in front of the kids? No, no, no. It's all about respect. As a matter of fact, in our house, one of the worst things you could do is if you disrespect your mother, she was my wife long before she was your mother. You will not disrespect my wife. And so what does that do? It's like, whoa. And it sets this, this boundary of respectability that this is just what's expected. And so my, my wife does the same thing for me. I know if my kids go to her about something I did, maybe inadvertently hurt them, you know, I said something that, that maybe caught them wrong or they didn't like a decision I made, I know 100% that Sarah's not back in that bedroom if she's talking to them that she's not cutting me down. It doesn't happen. And so we give each other that kind of respect. Now, now what am I saying? I'm not setting us up. Now watch, we're going to have a big fight this week, and it's going to be your fault because uh, <laughs> oh, help us, Lord. But I, I'm saying what, what happens is, and we were taught that uh, very young, because it just gives this level of respectability. Amen. You want people to respect you? Be respectable. Stand up straight. Dress appropriately. Look people in the eyeball. Give a good shake of the hand. Smile. Talk. You know what people say? Oh, wow, that, that, I'm going to respect that guy. He's respectable. And so you pass that on to your children. Teach your children how to interact in society. Teach them the basic foundations of respect in the home. Then let me say lastly, look at verse 24. And this is the most important of all. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Now look at this verse. He that heareth my word. Of course, that's speaking about the Bible, and the gospel is contained in the Bible. And believeth on him that sent me. That's speaking about the Father. If you don't believe the Father, how are you going to believe the Son? Uh, the Father is the one who gave the account of his Son that he is the Son of God. Uh, and so you read First John chapter 5. This is the record. So God's God the Father's record or testimony of his son is that this is my son and in him is eternal life and so the jews were saying well we believe your we believe god but we don't believe you and jesus said you can't separate us because the father says i'm the way of salvation and if you believe on me you get his salvation there's no separation there and then he says uh half everlasting life of course salvation shall not come into condemnation that's that's uh eternal suffering in hell, but is passed from death unto life. And so that, that miracle of salvation happens when you're born again. A transaction takes place. So here's what I would say lastly. The, the relationship between the Father and the Son is that God made salvation available through the Son. And I'll say this, Dad, one of the best things you can do one of the absolute best things you can do for your family is be saved. Just put your faith in Jesus.
the worst thing you could do is have your family wonder whether or not you're going to be in heaven with them. I know some of you have, have talked to your parents, you've begged your parents to be saved. Some of them have, some of them haven't yet. I remember one time I was in my senior year, I went to a Christian school after going to public school my whole life. I was in a Christian school and I was just at my desk one day and I started crying uncontrollably. And the, the teacher came over and said, Paul, what's going on? I mean, I'm a big husky uh, senior in high school and I'm just... <laughs> And I just couldn't control myself. And they came over, Paul, what's the matter? And I looked up, and, and I mean, I couldn't even see through my tears, you know, just all that blur. And I just looked up, and I said, I want my daddy to be saved so bad. And I just sit there weeping at my desk because I so badly wanted my daddy to be saved. And I'm going to tell you, the best thing you can do for your loved ones is to say, I'm going to be in heaven with you. Don't let there be any doubt about that. Why in the world? Stubbornness? Meanness? Anger? Frustration? So you're going to miss heaven yourself and then deny your children the, the comfort of knowing that you're going to be with them? That's the height of foolishness. And so as a father, I want to leave my children this thought, I don't know what life's going to bring. I might be alive for 40 more years. I might be gone for the days out. But I'll see you in heaven. Because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. The best gift you could ever give to your loved ones. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I wonder if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'd like to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I'd go. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you could know for sure. There's no reason for anybody to miss heaven. Let your wife know that you're going to be in heaven with them. Trust the Savior. Let, let your husband know you're going to be in heaven with them. Trust the Savior. Let your kids know. Par children, let your parents know. And the greatest gift we can give. And we see the powerful example of a father. The gifts from father to son, father to child, example, love, respect, and so on, all the way down to salvation. Maybe you're here today and you're saved. Let's, as parents, just like I would do, say, God, help me to be a better parent. Help me to fulfill the role well. Maybe you're a child. I'm a child. I've still got my mom alive. And help me to be a better son. Whatever the need, may God help us today. Let's stand as the piano plays, the altar's open. <laughs>